we're carrying on our series in 1 John. This is second last, second last one, and it wraps up, should wrap up hopefully, a lot of John's themes um, in this talk. Um, and we're again on the subject of love. And I think we see love in lots of different ways. I, I don't know if you're familiar uh, with the fact that we do, um, we support a food bank. Do you know that about Christchurch? We support a, a local food bank, Smallthorn Christian Fellowship, I think that's what it's called, just down the road. We um, gather food together and we take it down there. If you ever get, ch- it's not very far away, uh, and if you ever get chance, they take delivery on a Friday night and at a few other, other times as well. I go down there occasionally, and this is not, the, not quite right, the right words, but it's a bit like, so it's, it's an end, it's almost in an end terrace is the church. It's in, a, it's, sort of con- it's in and amongst the houses, but you walk in and it's kind of cavernous. And it's a little bit like Santa's grotto when you go in there. You go through and you, you know, there's endless corridors and little rooms and people busily working away. And it's a really joyous place. It's, it's full of life. There's like a light heartedness. It's how I imagine, how, how I ima- imagined, imagine Santa's grotto to be. Just light heartedness, people taking joy in the work. And So when you go away and you think about that, you think, well, ultimately, or fundamentally, all that they're doing here, so what happens is they're just taking food in from bags and putting it in various cupboards. How how thrilled are you about putting the shopping away when that comes round? When you get the shopping in, how much do you enjoy that task? It's not a great task. They give up their Friday nights, these people, and put shopping away all night. And not only do they put the shopping away all night, but actually what they're doing is plugging the hole in kind of this endless like poverty gap that we've got in the, in the country. It's kind of this sort of ultimate thankless task, and yet you go in and there's sort of joy and smiles. We often, when we think about love, we think firstly or mostly about it as kind of a warm and a fuzzy thing. We think about attraction, and we think about Like the frivolity of love. That's where we start from. But actually, as it's lived out, love, it's a really weighty thing. It's like a burdensome, heavy thing. When it's played out in the everyday, love that starts off as fancying somebody or affection for somebody or joy in something, if it's real love when it bears out, it becomes an incredibly weighty thing when it's played out in real life. It's things like Dishes and chores. It's clearing up the sick. It's looking after somebody that you love that's ill. It's forgiving over and over and over again. It's, and this is my foible, being able to say sorry over and over again. It's putting yourself second or third or fourth. In the everyday, it's an incredibly burdensome thing. Sometimes I do, uh, back in the past, I used to do them bit of a marriage course with people. I've married people in the past. And when you go through the vows with people, you can often see in the couples that they've not really ever thought about some of the depth of what they're saying. To having to hold from this day forward with my body, I honor you, etc., etc. And then you talk about in sickness and in health until death do us part. And it's almost like, well, I've never thought about this before. And you see in the joyous moment, the burden and the weight of love. Uh, In one of our greatest playwrights, I guess most famous book, Romeo and Juliet, as he's describing what love is, as he's getting us to start thinking about what love is, 
William Shakespeare gets Romeo to say, love, he describes love as heavy lightness. Act one, scene one of Romeo and Juliet. It's heavy lightness. And we know this, don't we? We kind of know how this works. We've, we celebrate the, all the kids that we've got um, in the room at the moment, and we've been blessed as a church with, with new babies, but we know that what it's like to be a parent, actually, it's just endless. And I'm looking around, God bless them at the parents. It's, it's like, and I'm going to try not to ham this up too much. Endless exhaustion, sleeplessness, clearing nappies. And yet, what do we see in them is joy. It's this thing that would really weight you down, Endless sleepless nights, all the rest of it, and yet there is joy. We see people in like long-term friendships or long-term relationships caring for loved ones who are sick because it's love. It's how it bears it out, and it's incredibly weighty, and it's every day, and it's ongoing because we love them, and we're with them, and we're stuck with them, and yet at the same time, if you, see, if you observe anybody in these moments, if it's true love, there's still, even in that, is lightness and joy. True love does that. It allows there to be real weightiness, and yet, paradoxically, almost, lightness at the same time. Because of this, part of the... Well, because of this, it becomes a bit of an exercise for life that we have to watch our boundaries with love. Because love is such... It's because it's such a powerful thing, because it brings us such joy, because it's so enticing. But because it's so heavy, what we all do all of our lives is sort of put boundaries in the place to, to look after ourselves. So we, we try and put the boundaries out. So I can't really love beyond this boundary. This is as many people as I can love. And then all of a sudden, somebody else will come along into your life and you'll think, all right, I have to, am I going to give myself out to this? Am I going to love Sometimes it can happen in quite frivolous ways. You're watching children in need or something like that, and you feel yourself pulled and opened up a little bit. Can I love beyond this? A new friend comes into your life, the friendship blossoms, and you're like, can I, can I open up? Am I going to, I want to put the, you feel it, don't you? I want to put the boundaries up. I don't know if I can give myself over to this. And what Jesus does when he comes into the world, and I would, my argument would be, you can see this through history. So I don't think, I'm not pulling this out of the sky. When Jesus comes into the world, I would say he comes into the world and all the boundaries that are in place, this is what I would say, if you look at Christendom and you look at the world that's born out of Jesus, I would say Jesus comes and he shatters the boundaries, like permanently. He comes and he sort of nukes them, explodes them. So all the boundaries that everyone's put up are constantly vulnerable. They constantly need to be changed because of what Jesus does when he comes and who he is, those boundaries are permanently smashed open and shattered. And I think the point that we've got to in this book, in the text that we're gonna, it's gonna magically appear on the screen in a minute, this church in Ephesus, are, are trying to, this church in Ephesus and us, I would say, have this constant wrestle of, of how, do we, how do we respond to that? Jesus has come and he's burst open like our love boundaries. That's not too weird a thing to say, but that's what's happened. How do we even think about that? Because in our mind straight away, what we think is, has he? Is that me? Or we think, how on earth am I going to do that? How am I going to respond to this? We talked over the last, you know, it's, it's come in our talks the last couple of weeks, this command to love one another. 
How are we actually going to even set off down that road? Because if you're anything like me, what you're thinking of more often than not is how do I build my boundaries up and make sure they're secure and I can love the people within it. The last thing I want to do is have somebody come along and smash my boundaries down. And particularly in this context, the, the passage that we're looking at, the church at Ephesus that John's writing to, we're, we're really confused by this. The, we've talked about the, the cessationists, this, this group of people that left the church and told all sorts of lies about what church was, really threw the church, really confused it. Like this web of lies, you can almost see underneath the letter that they're writing as John writes back, the fact that they're just confused. How do we love and this is what it's like, isn't it, to love? How do, how do you love knowing that there's so much untruth out there and so much lies? I know the command is for us to love each other. And yet, even though, you know, the world, like the world's full of lies, it still makes giving off of that love tricky, doesn't it? That was, that was the struggle. John's answer in this text, it goes against all of the normal ways, I think, that we look to find love, or rest in love, or achieve love. If you pop the text up in a second, if you read through that text, it, it goes against all of that. Often when we look out for love, these are the three ways that I could think of. It's not an exhaustive list. We, we sort of, as, as we look to see if it's there in our lives or with other people, we sort of waiting for favorable circumstances. Things kind of go well. We feel like we've got a bit more love to give. We look for good in others. You're thinking if you're struggling to love somebody that you're related to or that you're kind of friends with and you kind of peer into their life, is this something good I can hang on to that will make me love them more? Or we focus on what we get back from the relationship and we think of love in that kind of way. John doesn't say you get love by any of those ways. John says, verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. First thing John says is, we've been reborn into God's family. This is the first way he, he, he gets us to think about how we can possibly love everybody. He says, start thinking of each other as family. That's the first thing that he does. Let that just think in for a second. Don't know how you go with that. Second thing that he says, verse 3. I'll read verse 2 for context. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. This is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. How does he say we manage to love each other? Just think on this. Obedience to God. And he says, and this command that I'm putting over you, you know, it's like, do it because I say so. Do it because I say so. And verse 3 and into 4a, everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Here's what he says. He says, this is not going to be too much for you. In fact, you're going to have victory in this. In fact, this might be quite easy for you. There will be light moments. And we put our 21st century head on for a second. And we stop to think about this, and we think, this is not the way to love. This isn't the way for me to foster love to people around about me. You can't pretend people into your family. I can't pretend 
that I'm related to you. We can't imagine that. We can't do that. And we can't, we can't spawn love on command. That's not how it works. It can't be demanded from us. We'd have more luck going back to the worldly way of finding love, looking for good in others and waiting for things to go well for us in our lives and focusing on what we get back. I don't think John's under any illusion as to how big an ask this is for us. It's a huge ask. I've sort of felt that as we've, as we've preached it and as we've talked about it. We've got to love each other. It's, like, it's not an insignificant ask. It's a huge ask. What he says is, verse 1, everyone who believes... So I guess well, the first time I went through this, I was hoping to just go through it conceptually, and now I want us just to pull it open if we can. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. What he says is, believing in Jesus, believe in Jesus and it's belief that Jesus is the Christ is the same as realizing that you are born into God's family. He aligns those two things together. So we love, or we are enabled to love, or we are shown the direction of love, not by looking at what others bring or what we can get out of it, but we look at each other as siblings. We see that love because of who we are connected to and the way that we are connected to each other. We don't look at each other and think, what can I get from this? How attractive is this for me? John says, when you're born of God, when you believe that Jesus is the Christ, what you've seen there is God's act of love as a father. You've seen him act as a dad. And you've realized as you've, as you've had that faith, as you've practiced that faith, that you're a child too. And the way that you look round at other people now is not as somebody who's mastered everything, but as somebody who belongs to a family. And this, in effect, is that family. And because, and I guess this is the critical part of the verse and the text and the talk, because we see that the Father's love is, in Jesus, what we see is the Father's love is true. That's what we see. We see that this is real. We see that God's, when we look at Jesus and we believe that he's the Christ, when we believe he's sent for us, what we're saying is we know that the Father cares. We know that it's, we know that it's true love. We know this is not idle chat. This is what love is. And even though his demand and his command of us is really heavy, it's a huge command. Because we know that the Father loves us, we know that his commands are good. We see in Jesus that, he's, that it's good for us. And we also see that it's possible. In fact, it's beyond possible. What it says in this text is it's never, it's never too much. In fact, even, even the really big commands will have light moments in them. So I think this is, bottom line, this is like amazing news. It's a lovely story. And in some respects, we all know it. But the temptation is, and what I think the masses do, and what it's easy for us to do at this point, 
is to just hear that about love and about God and about Jesus and just let it stay. I feel like at the moment, it, let it stay conceptual. Let it be a theoretical thing. So often, I think this is what's maybe going on with the cessationists. It's just a, it's just a conceptual, theoretical thing. Yeah, we think about God's love and we think about Jesus and we, we think about love for ourselves and it stays a theoretical thing. If we do that, if that's what happens, we, we become like the cessationists, these people that left the church. You can kind of choose your own morality. There's no real guidelines on morality. You can be spiritual without being spirit-led. You can play at love without being given over to it. But what John's saying here, the Bible and John in particular in this passage, doesn't let us off with this. He says, ultimately, if that's, if that's what you've got, if it stays there, actually, when the rubber hits the road, when love breaks down, you've got nothing. If that's what you've got, you've got nothing. John writes this letter, and he finishes, and I guess we're kind of at the finish of the letter here, as he starts by saying, you need to see that this is real. We're not, I'm not talking to you of some nice concept that can exist in the back of your minds, that you can keep on the cloud, that you can go to on a rainy day. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is based on something real, and the love from it is real. He wraps off where he starts off in verse 7 to 9. And what he does in this moment, he says, I'm going to show you again that it's real, and I'm going to show you again why it matters that it's real. For there are three that testify. The spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. So there's a bit of conjecture. You read the commentaries about, it feels a little bit random. He's saying there's witnesses to this. We've, this is real and we've seen it and this is why it matters. And then he says, and the witnesses are the water and the blood and the spirit. So we think at this point, we think he's talking about events in Jesus' life which really ironed him out as being both God and man. Now we think, that, we think that he did this right the way through, but we think that John in this moment goes, here's some that everybody saw and we can't argue with. And he talks about water. And what he's talking about water there, we think, is baptism. Jesus was baptized by John. Do you remember that? Are you familiar with that? Story And when Jesus gets in the water, then it's a remarkable moment in the, te in the story of, of Jesus. He wanders up to John the Baptist. He takes his place among the people. And he says, as he's put under the water, I am one of you. I am one of you. And at the same time that he says, I am one of you, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. At the same time, Jesus says, I'm one of you. God says, he's one of us. And it's made really clear that God and man come together in Jesus Christ. Second one that John takes us to is the blood. And when we think about the blood, we think about Jesus on the cross. And we see in the story of the crucifixion, and 
historians and everybody else, we don't argue with this, that Jesus was there on that cross and he was blood and water flowed. It was a very human thing that happened. An incredibly human moment on the cross as Jesus is he's beaten up and you can see what's happening to him before your eyes. And everybody can see it. The humanity of him is seen. His weakness is seen. And yet, the witnesses, particularly the Roman witness, says, surely this is the Son of God. God and man screamed out to the world. And in all of this, continually, and this is what the text is telling us, the Spirit says to us, to see the love of God, to really get it, you need to focus in on Jesus. It's why we, every sermon should have something about Jesus in it. Text says here, the Spirit is drawing our eye to the person of Jesus for us to see the extent of God's love and to know that it's true. I guess the moment we see this, we see this right throughout Jesus's life. We we see the God and the man coming together right throughout his life. But there's a moment at Gethsemane, just before Jesus is crucified, where you see it, I think, more clearly than, any, than at any other point. So the disciples all fall asleep, and the text says of Jesus that he sweats drops of blood before he's going to the cross. He sweats drops of blood. He's full of tears. Soul's heavy. He's got the weight, literally the weight of the world upon him. You feel the full burden of that love. And yet, what do we read about Jesus? Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endures the cross, scorning its shame. What does it say about Jesus in the heaviest moment that we can think of? Heaviest moment, I would say, that has ever been the strongest example of love, the weight of the world. On him, Jesus still looks at it, sees the joy before him, and he's able to look at the cross and scorn its shame. He's able to make light of it. Why? Not because it's not the heaviest thing ever, but because the love is true. It's because the love is true. So I don't know how you're getting on with your love boundaries. Don't know if. They're scattered far and wide and you're able just to love whoever comes your way or if you've learned through time that you're going to need to stick some boundaries up or if you're really careful about it and you think, I don't know if I can love. Or if you hear this message that we've had at Christchurch for the last couple of weeks about the love of God and where it leaves you. I think what we see in the text is that belief in Jesus, belief, belief in Jesus means that we know that we are loved of God. We know it. We see it in him. It will always, always, always stretch our love boundaries. No matter where you're at, they'll always be stretched. And this is why we call it good news. Look around. What does our world need? Less love or more love? True love. And it's heavy and light.